The One Hundred Years' War, the de Guiscalin period, John of Gaunt's campaign of 1371. Now, this is really brief, but I thought it was important to talk about what John of Gaunt had done. We've done everything else in this 1371 period, and we'll see what happens with his Atlantic provinces. At any rate, John of Gaunt had passed most of the year of 1371 in his Atlantic provinces in his brother's principality, endeavoring to put some sort of order into its government but he undertook no major military operations. His relative immobility was due to the dire financial problems of the principality, the full measure of which were still not appreciated by his father's ministers in Westminster. The English expeditionary force, which had come to Aquitaine with Gaunt and Hewitt in 1370, had been paid for the first six months of its services from June of 1370. It had received nothing since, John of Gaunt's appeals presumably had a more courteous hearing in England than those of Captain Bouchel, but he got the same answer. By the spring of 1371, he was becoming concerned that his men would start supporting themselves by pillaging the prince's domains, thereby accelerating the rate of defections amongst the local nobility. He borrowed heavily on his own account in order to pay them at least part of what they were due. He had cash shipped out by his treasurer in England. He raised what revenues he could in the duchy. An early assembly of the estates of Poitou voted him a sales tax of 5% for a year, but not much of it appears to have actually been collected, and there is no evidence of any similar grants in other parts of the principality. Under the terms of his appointment by the Prince of Wales, John of Gaunt had agreed to serve as his brother's lieutenant for a limited period, and then only if his wages and those of his men were to be paid. So on July the 21st, 1371, he called the prince's counselors before him in Bordeaux and announced his resignation. He then formally surrendered his powers into the hands of the prince's officers. A melodrama at Bordeaux was designed mainly to make an impression on England. John of Gaunt made it clear he would continue to do what he could to defend the principality while he remained there. But his main preoccupation in the summer, as the the summer wore on, were his designs on the crown of Castile and his preparation for return to England. The only notable military operation conducted by the English in Aquitaine in 1371 was actually due to the Seneschal of Poitou, Sir Thomas Percy. He was probably the nearest England came to finding a successor to the military traditions of Audley and Chandos. A cadet of the famous Northumberland clan, he was the only member of his family to make a career fighting in France. In August 1371, Percy laid siege to Montcourt, one of the number of places in the northern march of Poitou where the French captains of the march had strengthened and garrisoned to serve as forward bases for the penetration into the Poitou area. Montcourt was a small town dominated by a massive fortress built by the great castle builder Fulknere, Count of Anjou, the 11th century. Percy arrived in early August with a scratch army drawn from nearby garrisons and from the retinues of leading Poitvin barons, together with a battery of stone-throwing artillery. Charles V, King of France, and his commanders made a serious effort to relieve the place. Their problem, like Gaunt, was a severe shortage of cash. It was estimated that 2,000 men would be required for the operation. There was no money to pay them. The constable, who was then at Bercherel, left the screen of troops around the castle and marched south with Olivier de Clisson and the rest of the army. The marshals stripped men from the garrisons of Loire and northern Poitou to reinforce him. But they were too late. By the middle of September 1371, Montcourt had been stormed by Percy's troops. 
The entire French garrison was killed, apart from the captain and five or six of his companions. When the constable reached the town four days later after it had fallen, he found it defended by a large English garrison. He ordered an assault, but his officers thought better of the idea. They had no crossbowmen with them. The task was hopeless, so the French turned around and marched away. On September the 23rd, 1371, John of Gaunt entered La Rochelle to head home accompanied by most of the army he had brought with him from England. His departure must have resulted in the withdrawal of at least a third of the English troops serving in southern France. Gaunt made what arrangements he could for the defense of Aquitaine in his absence. Lieutenants were appointed for each province of the principality, all of them prominent local noblemen, a notable break from the prince's practice of appointing Englishmen to such posts. Most of the available resources were concentrated on the defense of Poitou. On the northern march, a number of semi-autonomous captaincies were created under the command of contractors who agreed to guard the march in return for what profits they could make for the land around them. A partnership of military contractors comprising Thomas Percy, the Seneschal of Sontage, Jean Herpenden, and the Poitvin nobleman Renaud de Vivon took over responsibility for the fortress of La Rochelle-sur-Jean together with much of the northwestern march. They were to meet all of their own costs and pay a rent of 500 marks a year from the forfeitures of the traders in the area and the profits of raiding in the Anjou and Basse Poitou. Montcatour was exploited for their own account by another syndicate organized by Walter Hewitt. Other castles of the march were assigned to other captains on much the same basis. Garrisons were left in the main surviving fortresses of the Garonne and the Dordogne. The rest of the principality was left to fend for itself. Citizens of Limoges had had enough. While John of Gaunt waited at La Rochelle for shipping and a fair wind, a delegation came before Charles V in Paris to press him to take possession of their city and restore order to the region. Marshal Sincere gathered 200 men-at-arms and left for Limoges so quickly there was not even time to take the muster of his company. On November the 14th, 1371, Limoges formally submitted to the King of France. Experience had made the citizens wary of submitting too completely. They would not let Censor and his men within the gates at once. He had first to procure the confirmation of their ancient privileges and grant new ones. Then to pass the winter months removing the Anglo-Gascon routiers from the castles which blockaded the roads and river routes around the city. As a result, the marshal did not formally take possession until April the 26th, 1372. Even then, the citizens of Limoges would not remove the arms of the Prince of Wales from their gates. They simply placed those of the King of France above them. For many years, this symbol remained the last vestige of the official presence in Limoges. Now, what's going to happen next time, and we haven't talked about this for quite some time, is what the heck is going on at Avignon? Well, we're going to deal with the papacy and what's going on at this particular time because it's rather interesting. Now, the sources for this, the Chronicles by Froissart, the 100 Years' War by Perrois, the 100 Years' War by Nylans, and the 100 Years' War, Volume 3, House Divided by Sumption. So I hope you enjoyed that. And as always, don't forget to come by the website, sumahistorica.com or historyaccordingtobob.com, and ask a question, leave a comment, check out our merchandise, and if you like what we're doing, please feel free to support us. Thank you very much.